Imagine for a moment you're in Clayton Stenson's shoes. One day you're a pastor embracing new fatherhood, and the next you're walking through an unimaginable loss. Clayton and his wife's world turned upside down when they lost their first child just 35 hours after that child was born. It was a heartbreak that no one could foresee, and it's the kind of grief that doesn't just visit you. It moves in, unpacking bags of sorrow and questions that challenge faith to its core. In my time with Pastoral Transitions, I've learned something vital, that there's no one-size-fits-all reason why people leave ministry. It's not always about misconduct or money troubles or mismatched places. Sometimes life just hits you with the unthinkable. So this is Clayton's story, one of many unique and deeply personal journeys that we've encountered so far. And as you listen, you might find pieces of your own story reflected in his. So let's dive in. This is the Life After Ministry podcast. Hey, welcome to the Life After Ministry podcast. My name is Matt Davis, and I'm flying solo. My wife is out and about today, but uh, not necessarily flying solo because we have a great guest here today. His name is Clayton Stenson. Hello, Clayton. Hello. Thanks for having me. You bet. Um, Now, you are not here in the States. You're just north of the border. Where are you at? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm in Calgary, Alberta, up in Canada, uh, near the Rocky Mountains, and uh, I'm a I'm a, a family guy of three boys, seven, five, and three. Um, Ooh, my wife busy. stays at home. <laughs> yeah, pray for me. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a coach consultant uh, within the EOS space, and uh, love what I do. Yeah, the three, five, and seven, and all boys. That's uh, those are the minivan years. That's uh, <laughs> you're running we around. Don't have a minivan right now. We had it. We had a we had a minivan for a while, but it was a bit of a problem. Yeah. I I used to make fun of people in minivans and then I had one and I thought, man, I love this so much. I would have it even if I were single. It's so great. There's multi-purpose, just lots of great stuff, you know, to to work around with a a minivan. Hey, uh, so we're here to talk about life after ministry, not minivans necessarily. Um, But um, here's here's how I'd like to start is uh, you were in ministry at one point. You were working in a church. Um, how did you get into, and what was like that call into ministry? What did that look like? Yeah, so I I, I was not a Christian growing up. I, I only went to church three times uh, before I came to the church that I ended up working at, uh, and so I was twenty eight when I got saved, uh, and I was in a rough spot. Like I was, you know, really had a lot of depression and anxiety prior to that. Uh, was in what I call hermit mode. Uh, just really was internally like just, just a wreck. You know, I, I ended up inviting myself to that church and uh, I, I'll just tell the story cause it's powerful. I, I remember the first day that I came, the, the message was called giving the gift that is you. And it just talked about how God created us all with a gift with gifts and abilities that uh, are meant to be used to glorify God and to help people around us. And I just remember thinking, wow, this guy's reading my mail. Like, how does he know, you know, that I'm, you know, in the state that I am. And then, uh, shortly after that, I got, I did the alpha course and I got saved through the alpha course and I just dove in. I'm like, if this is, if this is the truth, uh, then I need to question everything. 
uh, and not, you know, and, and just dig into this and learn everything that I can. So I just started, you know, obviously going to church every week, uh, attending, you know, helping out, you know, taking every course they had to offer podcasts, books, like just got super deep into it and, uh, just loved the vision and loved what we were doing. So, um, got more and more involved. And eventually they asked me if, um, I would like to come on board as the facility manager. And I did. And then later it kind of advanced into, you know, did their Bible college in-house Bible college and became a pastor and ended up there for seven years. So seven years as a, as a pastor and working within vocational ministry inside the walls of the church. That's how you got in. Um, what, what brought you out of ministry? So what brought me out was that, uh, so October, uh, this would have been 2014, uh, my wife and I finally, uh, after years of trying, um, had our first son. And, uh, unfortunately, like it was full term, everything was good, but, um, you know, it was a C-section, emergency C-section. And when he came out, he wasn't breathing and, um, they made me leave, leave the room. Um, I still don't really understand that totally, but anyway, uh, they made me leave the room. I, cr- I was crying out to God, help, asking God, you know, to, to, to save him and, you know, to, to help him to live and, and, and no signs before that moment that there was going to be an issue in the pregnancy or in the birth. No, everything was healthy all the way through. Even when Livia was in labor, uh, there was no signs of any issues. Um, mm. and, and then, so 10 minutes I was out of the room and lots of people were going in nurses and doctors and stuff. And, uh, and then they let me go back in my wife's like shaking, like in shock, um, and it took seven more minutes after that before they got him breathing again. And so 17 minutes. And so they said, he, you know, he's probably not going to live. Mm-hmm. If he does live, uh, it's not, it's not going to be good, right? Like he's going to have major complications. And ultimately in the end, um, he lived for 35 hours. Uh, and, you know, I was with him pretty much the whole time. Um, and, you know, and, and obviously that was hard, right. It was like getting hit by a bus. I, I never even crossed my mind that that could happen. Like it wasn't even a possibility that a baby would die like that. I don't know why. Um, but so after that, um, you know, we both took 10 weeks off. Um, we did a full funeral. There was over 300 people at the, at the funeral. What and, was the, the church and community support and for you in that process? I, um, really good. Like, like, especially that first couple of weeks, you know, like we had tons and tons of support, um, you know, um, cards and well-wishers and food. And like, there was a lot of support for that first couple of weeks. The church was pretty supportive. They said, you know, take whatever time that you need. I wasn't, you know, I, I went on, um, up here, it's called EI unemployment insurance. Right. And, and I got, you know, paid, you know, that during that 10 weeks. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it wasn't too bad the first week, to be honest, like we had so much support and you're running on adrenaline, you know, you're just planning the funeral and making all that. And then, but then the week after that, it got much harder, uh, Mm -hmm. that adrenaline wore off. And so it was tough. Like every day we'd get up, well, we wouldn't get up, we'd wake up, (laughs) you know, you just in bed. And anyway, so Mm -hmm. 10 weeks, it was, it was a hard season, but it was, it was also kind of precious it united Livia and I really well because we, you know, we had this shared problem. And then in January, uh, I went back to work. Um, 
This is 10 weeks later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I dove right in and I'm like, you know what, this is, you know, I was excited. I think I was happy to have a distraction, uh, you know, and I, and I was doing pretty good for probably about a month. And, but I remember my wife being like, you don't talk about him anymore. Like like she wasn't all right. And I seemed to be, and that was a problem, (laughs) you know, for us. And, but the distraction wore off and then I, I went into a bad place again. And so the, you know, I say that grief is like waves it, in the beginning, it comes, they're big and they're fast and they're regular. Um, and you know, it's just a normal part of grief, I think. Um, and those waves like came back hard and fast. And I found myself like just losing it at work and like having to go in the sanctuary and just cry. Right. And just like a real mess. So, you know, I tried to hold it together we were doing grief counseling and different things. But, uh, after 10 weeks of working again, I'm like, I just, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't do this. Like my wife's a mess. I'm a mess. Um, and so, um, I just, I asked my pastor if I could just, you know, could I just take a sabbatical? Like, I think I need a year. Like I just, I, I, you know, people are coming to me and asking for prayer and support. And I'm like, I'll pray for you, but can you pray for me? Like, you know, cause I'm, I'm really struggling. It was just, it was a really hard stretch. Can we, can we, can we dig into that for a second? Because yeah, yeah. Um, my, my thinking is obviously it's hard to um, process your own stuff inside ministry when there's other people who are coming to you. Um, but help, help us just understand like, what is that like when you're going through your own stuff? Um, why being a pastor in those situations, like, you know, I, I know that some people would just say like, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a bread delivery truck driver because, you know, at, at the end of the day, if I crash the truck, then it's just bread, right? No harm, no foul. But at the end of the day, the truck is also empty in ministry. The truck is never empty. Um, but why, why was it just in particular that being in ministry, um, was obviously you're dealing with a tremendous amount of grief and loss, but to do this job and simultaneously process that grief, um, mm-hmm. why, why was that so difficult? Um, I think even prior to all of this happening, I, I, I don't think I'd really figured out how to do ministry in a healthy way. You know, I think I always kind of felt like I was on the verge of overwhelm, you know, and this just kind of felt like it, pushed me over the edge and I just, I couldn't hold together anymore. And I think, you know, there's this fallacy. I think that you have to, if you're a pastor, you have, you're in a fishbowl and everybody's watching you have to, you know, you have to be uh, not perfect, but you have to, you know, be, you know, have it together. Right. And I think that was part of it. I just, I didn't. Right. Do do you think that we as pastors put ourselves in the fishbowl or do you think the church and and the system, how it's set up, does that depends on the church <laughs> you know, I think, yeah. I think and the person right probably yeah and i think it's a bit of both right yeah. like I'm, I'm i'm not placing blame on anyone i know for sure that i i did that to myself a certain amount and i'm not in that church anymore but the church that i'm in now i'm, I'm so thankful for our pastor because he you know I, I just love how he he doesn't put himself there like he very intentionally keeps him out of there. Like he'll introduce himself and say, I'm one of the team here. <laughs> right? Like he doesn't even say that he's the senior pastor and he'll say stuff. He'll say stuff like, I, I have nothing for you, 
but mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, we're going to read from God's word today and see what God has for you today. Like he just has a very healthy humility about him. Uh, and, um, but I don't think that's super common, at least not in the circles that I've been in. So does that make sense? Totally. So did you get that one year sabbatical? Yeah. So yes, they said, yes, no problem. Uh, yeah, you can take, take as much time as you leave, but, or as you need, but, um, but essentially I was told, you know, that we can't protect your job during that time. And, you know, at the time I was like, that's fine. I don't really care at this point. <laughs> I'm in survival state, right? Like, do what you need to. Like, like, I'm a mess. Like, I can barely get through the day. So I could care less about, you know, what, what happens in a year from now. Really, I know that God loves me and he trusts and he's going to take care of me. So I was like, sure, whatever. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, and is the church paying during this time? Are you getting paid by the church or is there something else? Or you just, it's a, it's a full, again, it's just, it's just the EI. I'm on the, okay. I'm on the EI, you know, which is a couple thousand bucks a month or something. And, uh, okay. which you know, I think it's not much at all, right? No, you know, I, I'm, I was fortunate. My wife was also getting that. And, you know, we had some financial support and some, some financial means. So it wasn't, you know, the end of the, the world, but it was tight, but we didn't want to do anything anyway. So we weren't spending much money. Uh, I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was the, a year passes and you're coming back. Are you saying, I don't think I'm coming back. Like how did, what was the actual exit? Was it kind of in stages like this or was there just a moment where they came back and they said, Hey, um, we're, we're filling your position. How did that end? Uh, no, I, I, uh, I, so I went and got a job with a construction company because I needed work. Uh, I took another 10 weeks and then I got a job with an, a construction company. Um, and, uh, the owner said, you know, I want you to be a project manager. And I was like, no, I don't like, I want to be the bread truck driver. Like, just give me a hammer. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to be responsible for me only. And, uh, yeah, there really was no, con- I don't, there wasn't much of a conversation after that, uh, with the church. I still attended there, um, after that, but, you know, there was never, uh, you know, you know, they checked in from time to time, but there was never like the years coming in, you know, do you want your job back? I, I didn't really want it back. Really? You, you came out of ministry, you swung a hammer for a little bit, and then you moved into a, a new space. Well, give, give me a little bit of a sense of what is it that you're doing and how how is that transition process, that life after ministry process where you're, you might be attending meetings with people, but you're not praying beforehand, and there's no <laughs> biblical application to it. You're probably around people that are cursing, whatever, all, all those different changes. But yeah. um, were there transferable skills? Were there things that you like, oh, um, this is good. Like I can take what I, I know from my ministry experience, and I can, I can bring this in to yeah. this environment. Yeah, I'll start by telling you the story about day one after I told them I wanted to take a year. And... Well, even that night, <laughs> I remember crying, uh, like talking with my wife and just crying. It's like, how, how am I ever going to make a difference? Mm-hmm. How am I going to help people now? Right. Like, I think my, my identity was way too wrapped up in being a, being a pastor and not wrapped up enough in Christ. Um, and so I, I struggled. And then I remember that week I went, for a walk with a good friend of mine who was in my wedding party and was a part of that church. And I remember just crying and pouring out my heart to him and being so concerned about 
how could God ever use me again? Right. And part of that was probably the pain, like the grief and the depression and all the stuff that was going on around me. But it was, it was, um, not a fun season. <laughs> sure. Um, and a good friend of mine gave me a book and I don't remember the name of the book, but it was just about how, um, about how God doesn't really care what you do. He cares who you are. Right. And it doesn't matter what context you're in, you know, your life can, can have a big impact. And that book was really helpful. And I had, uh, I also did like grief share groups and a secular grief group. And we were part of baby loss support groups and I got counseling and, you know, like we did a lot, um, because what I've heard is that grief is coming out, whether you like it or not, like the, the pain and the tears and all that stuff is going to come out. But if you do it in a healthy way, it'll come out, you know, it'll come out in healthy ways. If you don't, it, it might come out in alcoholism or you might, you might end up much worse off using other coping mechanisms. So I really, um, struggled for a while. Uh, and, and then in the end, yeah, I, I got a job at the construction company. Uh, I'm a leader. Like I, I just can't not lead. Like it's just part of who I am. So it, it didn't take very long. I would say probably like two or three months. I was kind of unofficially in a site superintendent role, kind of helping manage a big project that we had. And, um, and my role just kept growing and, you know, and, and my owner, the owner, he's a great guy. He, he never kind of, um, forced me, like he just kind of allowed me to, to take as much leadership as I felt ready for, uh, which in retrospect, I really appreciate. He knew I was capable of a lot more than what I was doing. And then eventually he, promoted me into estimator role. And I remember people saying to me, how does this work? Like, how do you go from pastor to construction worker? Like, I just, I don't, I don't, it doesn't, I don't get it. Like, how's that? How's that uh, work? Um, but yeah, it, it worked extremely well. Like there's people, it's people, right? Whether it's church or, or management, it's people, right? And um you know, eventually I promoted to the second in command role there and, you know, and was extremely successful, uh, in that role. And we 22 times net profit in 12 months implementing a system called EOS. And it, it felt second nature to me to do the things that I was doing partly, I think, because God gifted me with that, but partly because of the experience that I had at the church leading teams and, you know, casting vision and, building systems and training people and all of that kind of stuff. It, it definitely was a, a great uh, preparation for, for that next role. And, and I know when, when he, when he promoted me to that role, he's like, Clayton, I've seen you, I've seen you do this before. Like you did it at the church. I'm certain you can do it again and you'll right. be better. At it. You'll be better at it than me. So I'm going to let you run with it. Yeah. I, I always wonder, uh, it's an interesting thing that, you know, we have, we have people who are alive today who used to be president, and though they are not in the White House any longer, uh, they're still called president, um, even though they don't officially hold the title. But that title follows them, carries them. Uh, and I, not not that uh, you know, there's some kind of head issue of like we're we're really high and mighty as pastors. But do you feel like the? I mean, you're you're what? This was 2014, 2015 for you. Um, so we're looking at you know almost a decade later. Um, 
Do you still look at yourself in any way as a pastor, like holding that? Um, and uh, has that changed? Or is there a moment where you realize like, no, I'm actually no longer a pastor? From, from a title perspective, like, I, do you still have people? Like, I still have people. I'm not in ministry. I've been out of ministry for, um, not in the church ministry. We got to make make sure we, we specify that. But there are still people who call me pastor. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't hold that title within a church. Did that disappear for you? Or do you still see yourself like that? Do other people still see you like that? Kind of a funny story. Um, I attended the church um, for six years after that and uh, still, and then we moved to a different city. But I had people come up to me on Sunday and talk to me as if I worked there. And uh, for years right till when I left there. And I bet if I went back there today, they would still do that. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and, I, and I would just pretend that I was and I would help. Right. And so, yeah, I don't have the, I don't have anybody call me pastor anymore. I still function that way. Like I still have that hat, right? Like that hat is still there. And I, and I pull it out sometimes when I'm coaching somebody in the stuff that I do now, it's like, okay, I, in my head, I'm like, okay, I need to switch hats right? Like this person needs a pastor right now. They don't, they don't need a, a coach or a consultant. They need a pastor, you know? And so, um, my answer would be, I don't know. I think, I think I just, I am, I am, I'm capable of that. I can go there if I need to. It's a tool, kind of a tool in the toolbox, if you will. Sure. Um, but I have, I think I, the thing that I do have is a, a very, um, solid perspective of how much people matter to God. So if if Clayton uh, 2023 could go back and talk to Clayton 2014 on the night of day zero when you just go home and cry and you're asking the question, what will I do with my life? How can I can I ever be used again by God um, being on this side of things now? What would you tell yourself then? I would say that the thing that I've realized is that back then I was in what I call the Christian bubble. Uh, and it was really unhealthy. Uh, when I think about it, the only people I ever talked to were people that really came within those four walls, uh, or, you know, my family, you know, my, my parents and my sister, you know, the in-laws and stuff. Uh, and it was a very limited perspective. And I remember that first year it was like culture shock. (laughs) Uh, like you said, the cursing and the, you know, listening to non-Christian radio and, you know, like all the the stuff that I was experiencing again. Uh, not that I'd never been in that world before, but it felt like culture shock. And but what I found was when I became estimator, all of a sudden I had all these relationships with business owners and, you know, subcontractors. And I was able to have influence with people that I never would have met otherwise. Then I joined a networking group and there's another 50 to hundred people that I had influence on that I could, you know, could witness. And they know that I'm a Christian and I can, you know, shine God's light into their life. And, and now I network with hundreds, maybe thousands of people all over the world. Uh, and I'm able to, you know, share my grief story and minister to them and zoom calls where we're both crying, you know, like it's, it's crazy now how I think how, I think God is using me way more now than he was then. Um, and so I would say, yes, don't worry about that. God has still has a plan for your life. So there's life after ministry and there's ministry after ministry. 
Definitely. there's hope uh, no matter where you're at. And so, um, Clayton, thank you for sharing your story. Um, you're in the EOS environment, which is uh, when I was a pastor, I, I had no idea what EOS was or rocks or what a CRM was. And so your world is, is very different. You jump into companies and really help them to organize and put in systems in place um, so that they're running efficiently, setting goals. Everybody's rowing in the same direction, essentially. Um, yeah. But if if that's something that like somebody's listening and they're coming out of ministry trying to figure out what's next or they're resonating with what you're talking about and want to just reach out and figure out what, what they're doing with their life, uh, what's a good way to reach you? Where, do you have a website? What does all that look like? Yeah, my website is uh, theunityguide.com and, or you can find me on LinkedIn and I am happy to have a conversation with anybody who's, you know, dealing with grief, lost a child. You know, I know how lonely that can be and you're not alone. So if, you, if you're in that boat and you want to talk to somebody, I'm happy to, you know, or anybody who's exiting ministry or, or somebody that wants to learn about what I do. I just, I want to help. That's good. Even even in the title, the Unity Guide, uh, there there's a, a ministry kingdom mindedness uh, to what you're doing there. So um, I appreciate you sharing your story and um, just even the authenticity that you've brought to it and and just the the humility and realizing like I, I just I don't think I can do this in this way. Um, but so thankful that God has brought redemption in in every way. And I don't know if everybody can hear this, but I, I've heard uh, moments of your three boys. I don't know, or maybe it's just one really loud boy in the background, but it sounds <laughs> totally like your kids. Uh, thank God, God is restored, um, and you have you have you have three children, um, those three boys, um, and I could hear them. And I there's there's just something good about hearing. There's some life that's happening um, behind yeah. you. And that you guys are were able to have those children. There's a lot of life. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. A lot. <laughs> maybe a little too much life at times, right? <laughs> well, Clayton, thanks for sharing. Thanks for coming on the Life After Ministry podcast. Go and be blessed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Life After Ministry podcast. Our mission is to help you navigate the complexities, the joys, and sometimes even the beautiful moments of life after ministry. Whether you're a ministry leader thinking about a transition or a stakeholder in the decision-making process, we hope these conversations bring you both clarity and comfort. And we believe that any transition can really be a gateway to transformation and that there's not just life after ministry, but there's also ministry after ministry. If you found value in today's episode, consider subscribing to this podcast and don't hesitate to share it with anyone that you think might benefit. The journey is sacred and we're committed to walking alongside you, providing resources, encouragement, and a community where stories are heard and valued. And until next time, keep leaning into these opportunities, these transitions, these transformations, and the challenges that come with life after ministry.